when do you get back from your little thing, your little tryout, Justin? Tuesday. Okay. All right. Yeah, the guy I work with, you'll find this funny. Uh, we just hired a new guy, and he just started the other day. And he was, like, looking for something online. And he's like, damn. I was like, what? He's like, I'm just trying to find a lantern. I was like, what? He's like, I'm trying to find a lantern. But it's a weird lantern. Like, it's somebody's head, but with around a lantern. Like, the lantern's in their head. And, he, and I was like... <laughs> Oh, so you're talking about the whole Fiend Bray Wyatt lantern? He's like, oh, yeah, you know all that? And I'm like, no, I just saw a picture of it. <laughs> hey, man, but that I entrance was <laughs> badass, dude. His SummerSlam entrance with that head was pretty badass. But, yeah, that's that, funny. That lantern looked kind of dumb, though. But I like the symbolism of it. You know, he's killing the old character, so he kind of had the head of the old character. It was an inter- it was a neat idea. I thought it was a neat vision. I mean, I'm all about crazy wrestlers. I mean, like I said, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Lucha Underground. They had snake people. I'm all about it. But why do they have to make it almost like the boogeyman again? Like, what's his name? Finn Finn Balor or Finn Balor, whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah, Finn Balor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whatever he does his demon persona. Motherfucker just looks like the fucking boogeyman just with a like one of those snowboarding hats on <laughs> damn man you know he does that You're motherfucker would you call me a, would you call me a fiend god why did i do that that was like a wrestling that was like a wrestling dad joke what the fuck's wrong with me oh my i haven't slept enough that's what it is <laughs> it's been a crazy yeah, night <laughs> A wrestling dad joke. I'm ne- I'm neither a dad or a big wrestling fan. Like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? You're getting in the scary spirit because we're talking about scary stories. And maybe Bray Wyatt spooks you. His lantern spooked you, so you brought it up. <laughs> That'd be the Fiend's lantern, not even Bray Wyatt's lantern. God, get your shit right, Justin. Oh, God. You know it's a sad day when I'm correcting you on wrestling shit. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> but was I wrong? No. Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> Jason, sing me a song that's scary in the dark. Uh, it's the Monster Mash. I don't know any scary songs Man, in the dark. The Monster Mash is never scary. What the fuck is wrong I with know. you? It's never scary. <laughs> that's the first thing that <laughs> popped in my head. I said, sing me a song that's scary in the dark, and you went, okay, a song never scary. It didn't scare you when you were a little kid? Ooh, I don't want to dance with monsters. Yuck. I have never once even paid attention to what the song lyrics were for that. So that song could have been about <laughs> dancing with monsters, or it could have been ma- talking about making a weird cannibalistic mashed potatoes out of monster parts. I don't fucking know. I, it was a stupid song from, what, the 1950s or 60s? Does anybody really pay attention to lyrics from songs back then? <laughs> and yes, I'm okay. including the Beatles in that. Who gives a fuck? Oh, Suck yikes. on that, Zach. Uh-oh. Well... There goes a ton of listeners. <laughs> you no, want you want you want to get into me not liking shit? Let me go into my diatribe of how I don't like the Beatles. I guess it's a good thing we never did that movie yesterday. Yeah, that but the, my whole movie. review of that movie would I know be what you're talking about. Oh, so this guy woke up in a world where the Beatles never existed. That sounds like the perfect world to me. End of review. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> like, oh, he woke up in a better plane of existence. Sign me up. You're awful today. Oh You're my. just rambunctious. You should you should probably cut that Fuck out that. just for the sake of people not I'm keeping getting you all backlash. Because I am 100% team. Fuck the Beatles. Man, you are on a tear, man. Just on a on a tear here. Not even What's in a bad mood. Not, not even in a bad mood. I think it's because you say shit like Delio. 
Well, yes. man. Well, I'm just thinking. Oh, I'm just sitting here like, man, what is the dealio? This guy is on a tear. He's unbreakable. This guy is rambunctious. <laughs> when did I become a subpar M Night Shyamalan movie? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, maybe I am in the wrong headspace to be reviewing something tonight. I mean, I 100% mean that. <laughs> Unbreakable's, you know, mediocre at best, but that's neither here nor there. If you want to hear me talk shit about that movie, just hear me intertwine every once in a while about the Glass movie or Mr. Glass or whatever the fuck that movie was called. I don't even remember. I didn't watch it. I just chimed in about how I hate M. Night Shyamalan. On that note, hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. It's Sterling, Justin, and Heather here talking about the movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. We will be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with this movie, which, I don't know, I feel like I was going somewhere and I forgot where I was going right after I said all that. So let's just jump into what we liked. Heather, what did you like about this movie? Okay, well, for me... Um, I, I do have to say I was never someone who read the books. Um, I actually, I, I didn't even really know of their existence until way later. So, um, I didn't really know what to expect going into this other than just kind of like, it was scary stories for children, kind of like the Shel Silverstein novels, but like, or the books, except scarier. Um, that's the only thing I really knew about the book or the books so i didn't really have an opinion of what this would be but seeing the trailer for it i remember thinking like this looks legitimately creepy so i was you know and i'm always up for something that's scary or a little creepy and everything so um so yeah i mean i honestly my opinion of this is it, it's going to be mostly good because it reminds me of just a really like long movie version of like an Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is always great. <laughs> so um, I liked mostly the I, I like how they incorporated the stories, the different stories. They didn't do it in a boring way where it was like, let's read this story and then let's read this story and things like that. Like they incorporated it into each of the kids lives and what was going on. And um, I did appreciate how they did that because it helped move the story along and it helped keep you interested in it instead of just giving you this like story after story and like you're reading a book basically, but on screen. So it was just kind of cool how they incorporated um, a bunch of the different stories into one big story. And I do also like that it was set in the 1960s. Um, I don't know if that really plays much into like any of the specific stories in the books, but it was kind of cool that they made it, you know, more back in the day. I didn't actually know that they were going to do that. I was thinking it was set in current day. So that was a, a little pleasant surprise and just kind of how they worked the story with the different kids and their dynamics and what was going on in their lives. Um, it, it worked. It worked well. So that was kind of a nice touch to it. Um, I mean, I like the, um, honestly, I think that the standout in this movie is going to be, um, Stella, the main girl. Um, she was, she was really great. And I don't think I had seen her in anything before, but I think that she actually was, she really stood out in this movie to me. And, um, what is her name? Her name is, does anyone know her name? Coletti? Zoe, yeah. Zoe Coletti. Yeah. Zoe, yeah. 
Zoe Margaret Coletti. She was great. I just think that she really kind of almost carried this film because you, for me, I believed everything she was saying, every emotion she was feeling. She was just very believable in her character. And also the, the guy that plays Ramon was also very good. Played that charismatic, charming young teenager. Um, yeah, so uh, they, they actually were the most standout, which I think they're supposed to be because they're technically the main characters, but their storylines were more interesting to me than a lot of the other ones anyway. So I just, um, I just like their dynamic and I like, I just liked their characters as a whole. And um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was just, it, it was beautiful cinematography. It was just, I, I honestly, because I hadn't read the books, I didn't know what to expect from the stories. And um, I like how it, it randomly picked different people to be the, the main person in the story. And then there was the bigger picture of um, Sarah Bellows and her whole thing, um, which I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I know Ster Sterling, I know you read the books. Is Sarah Bellows actually like, is that a story in one of the books? I don't remember that much, but I'm going to say no. Okay. Okay. So it was just kind of cool that all these little stories were incorporated into the big story about Sarah Bellows and how, um, you know, she would tell all these stories to these children. And they just really, when you're trying to tell a bunch of different storylines and plots and just put a lot into one movie that tells a lot of sub stories, it, it could be difficult. And I think that they really navigated that well here and um it was just fun it was entertaining like it wasn't i don't feel like any of it was over the top i feel like it it was thrilling and captivating enough for you to want to be like oh what's going to happen who's going to be next it was very good and it was um i mean it was i wouldn't say it's as scary as something that you would gear towards an adult but it's it's right there i mean it's not something that only kids or only teenagers are going to like because I really enjoyed it. So I think that um, they're, they're good at making it relevant to probably any age of someone who would be watching it. Um, I like the look of the different uh, monsters and things that appeared. <laughs> um, they were very memorable. And I do like, uh, you know, looking back on um, just kind of like uh, researching the books and the illustrations and stuff like that. I do like how they, they made it look decently like the books and stuff. And just the, I mean, it, it's just they're these monsters, they don't say much. They don't do much except kind of lurk around and things like that. But everything they do is so like terrifying to you. And you know that these creatures are things in the minds of some of these kids and, um, you know, a lot of it is just kind of like they're having to kind of be in front of the thing that scares them the most, in a sense. So, it, I mean, they're really creepy little monsters roaming around. And yeah, I just kind of, I, I enjoyed the look and the feel of it. And it was just a really fun ride to see who was going to be next, who was going to survive, things like that. And I do, I find it interesting. And I kind of liked that they didn't really... um like at the end of it, they didn't really necessarily bring back everybody or they didn't really um, wrap up the story of everybody by just bringing everyone back, which I thought was really cool. And I also did like how they incorporated Stella into the story of Sarah Bellows um, when they're at the house, they're going back and they're just trying to figure out how to get all of these things to stop. And you see that she she kind of gets wrapped up in the story of Sarah Bellows and she kind of becomes Sarah for a little bit, which was really a cool thing. And I didn't actually see that coming. And I think that it was um, 
it was kind of cool how they did it because you can also see Ramon on the other side of the wall or whatever it is where he sees he finds her glasses there. And it's kind of like she's in a different time than him at the same time. And it was really, really cool how they did that. So I just I like the way that they progress the stories and how they intertwine them together without making you feel like you're lost in it. So, yeah, those are going to be my main things. Justin, your turn. All right. So it, one thing I definitely can say about it is that um, I kind of share Heather's experience with this as well. Um, I didn't I wasn't aware of the books. I wasn't a fan of the books or anything like that. Um, I really didn't know that this movie was based on a book until I first saw the preview and then did a little digging and found out, oh, OK, so these were kind of like uh books for young adults that that grew up and stuff like that so i I, but honestly i didn't know anything about the source material so i kind of just went into this blind not with any expectations or anything like that and for the most part i do feel like i walked out and i enjoyed this um this is a movie that definitely knows how to build tension i don't think that every scare or every tension moment was effective but i do feel that most of them were a lot of the visual imagery was very engaging and very appealing and there are just some creepy things going about uh one thing that definitely stood out to me was the first uh i guess kill or ghoul or um monster that we saw harold this undead scarecrow thing in this cornfield and man everything about that i just loved it i loved how they set that up earlier in the film i loved how when one of our characters was out there how he started to animate and then he you saw little inches of him slipping in and out of the cornfields and then you didn't know where he was going to come from and then all of a sudden he's there and he starts walking slowly and like you can the 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 sounds that he was making almost these robotic ish but kind of like you could tell it was metal and other things that he was trying to walk I loved all of that. And what was really cool was the ending of that. Whenever um, he stabs our our um, our teen victim uh, with the pitchfork, the guy starts becoming a scarecrow. And I just thought that that was such an awesome visual with uh, straw coming out of him and everything like that. That was really awesome. I thought that was really inventive. They made that look really cool. And then when I did some digging on this uh, subject matter and I found the illustrations for Harold and they looked exactly like how he was drawn um, for those books, I I really just thought that that was interesting. I really just thought that that was cool. That that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the film. Um, And also another thing that I really just enjoyed about this were were the cast of characters. And honestly, I thought that everybody showed up here. Uh, Definitely, like Heather was saying, uh, Zoe Coletti is probably the one who shines the most, but I thought that everybody else did a respectable job. There, you know, even if their performances didn't stand out per se, the, all of the teens in this, all of the kids were asked to do a lot here and they really carry the scenes that they're in regardless of what they were doing. Nobody, felt offensive or just so stupid I was rolling my eyes or anything like that you know it didn't matter 
who was on screen, I was I was there. You know, I was I was um content with what I was seeing uh for the most part. And another thing that I really thought was cool about this story is just that whole idea of stories can hurt people or stories can heal people. How stories can um can impact a person's life and they can really just change the way we see things, change our culture, change people's reputation, change people's legacy. And I think that that's a very important message. I also loved all of the Nixon imagery in this because I don't think that that was a coincidence. Yes, this story takes place in the 60s. So of course there should be some of that, but there is something to be said about President Nixon and this narrative that he had us believe during his um during his election run and how he was able to get elected on this story that he was this honest person that he was going to work hard that he was going to handle our foreign policy and different things like that and then ultimately we find out that nixon was this fraud like there was the watergate scandal and he's ultimately revealed as this fraud so i don't think it's a coincidence that there was a lot of Nixon imagery in this because it's kind of that real life situation where um, how of how stories kind of affected our society and the way we looked at a person. And then the reality is something totally different. And when you look at Sarah Bellows, it's the opposite of that. She there was this story. Uh, this legend of this town and this story and this cover-up that made her this monster, that made her the source of the problems in this town. But ultimately, we find out there was this huge cover-up and other members of her family were responsible and she was kind of a scapegoat. So all of that really worked for me. I appreciated that. I always like when a horror film tries to give us something just beyond the scares, just beyond the monsters. What are you trying to say? What are you really trying to tell me? So because that was in there, I just really appreciated that. Um, other than that, just some other performances that I, I really liked or just some people I like seeing again. Uh, Dean Norris is in this movie and he plays Roy um, Stella's father, Zoe Coletti's character, her father. And it was just nice seeing him. You know, I really enjoyed him in Breaking Bad. I hadn't really seen him in anything since then. So maybe he's been in other things and I on TV and movies and I just haven't seen him. But it was nice to see him. I was like, oh man, he's in this. And with the few scenes he had, there were some emotional scenes he got to have as a father and everything like that with, with Zoe. And I think that those scenes worked. I think that for the most part, they landed because that is a talented actor. So it was very nice to see him. Um, and other than that, I just really like the concept here of this ghoul, of this ghost of vengeance that sort of writes these stories and whatever that person writes in this book, that's what happens to you. And I just loved all of that. I like the Cerebello's ghost specter spirit of vengeance character and i liked it a lot because i liked her mo 
being that she writes these stories and it affects you because that's what ultimately affected her. It was a story. It was a fabrication about her life that she was the source of all of these issues that happened in that town. So I like that this ghost in death is like, okay, well, I'm going to use stories to hurt people because a story was used by my family to hurt me. So man, all of that to me just feels fully realized and it comes full circle in this movie for the most part. And, and of course, there were some flaws and there are some things that I'm sure that we're going to get into, but overall, this was enjoyable. It was good at building tension. Um, there were some memorable monsters and specters in this. Oh, and another one that was great uh, was our, our our funny kid. Um, the kind of have the uh, the bushy hair, and when he's in the hospital, and that woman, that sickly looking, puffed up kind of ghost woman keeps on walking and keeps on appearing everywhere and he's trying to run away and she keeps appearing at different angles and stuff and then all of a sudden she's everywhere and then she sort of like hugs him in in a loving way but absorbs him and that was really neat too so whenever this film was doing cool things like that whenever you were just getting things that you didn't expect man this film was really on its game and it just knew how to build tension with those scenes. And I liked how it would give you a little bit of the story or a character would say a little bit of the story, but then it would cut or something so you didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And they allowed those stories to kind of, those horror stories or situations to kind of play out within the film without giving you all of it. And all of that worked to a T. So definitely made for an enjoyable experience for the most part. Well... Apparently, I'm the only one of us here that had a relatively normal childhood because I did know these stories. <laughs> um, I mean, it's been a long time since I actually read any of these. But for the most part, as the movie went on, I recognized them as the stories went. That's why, like I was saying, Heather, I don't think the the overarching like Cerebello's plot, I don't remember that being one of the stories. Um, it very well could have been. I just don't remember that. Because just like in the movie, these stories are very, very short in the books. They're just like little quick campfire tales. You know, they're just typically, you know, they max out at like three pages, maybe four. Um, you know, so this wasn't really that in-depth of a story uh, growing up. But I did recognize a lot of them. Um, the... Uh, um, the big toe, which they used to get Augie. That's a very, very memorable one from the first book. I want to say it's like the first or second story in the first book. Uh, Harold, um, that one's in the third book. Uh, I want to say the dream, which is what gets, which has the pale lady in it, the pale ghost. Um, I want to say that's in the third book. I want to say well, most of these stories are either in the first or third book. I don't know why they skipped pretty much this entire second book of stories. But they mainly go from the, the first and the third book with stuff. Uh, the Red Spot, which is the one where the spiders come out of the girl's face. Uh, that's in the third book. The what? Uh, the Me Tai Toti Walker. Uh, that's the first book. Um, but I liked how they took all these different stories. And I was kind of worried originally when they announced this movie, that they were just going to kind of take one of the stories and then just expand it into being an hour and a half. And to be perfectly honest, no one wants to see that movie at all. These stories kind of <laughs> work because they're short, you know, and and honestly, because they are they are kids stories. They're meant to be that child type of horror 
not to say that they're not fairly decent horror within their own right. I mean, the whole uh, Mitai Dodi Walker one ends with a head falling down the chimney and killing a dog with fright. Um, the, the the big toe one uh, ends, yeah, with the corpse going, it was you who's eating his toe and shit like that. You know, these these stories do have horror elements to them. It's just, it is, I don't want to say sanitized. It's just a cleaner version of horror. Like some of it happens more off screen. You know, like in Harold, the kid turning into a scarecrow, is it just being like, oh, and then straw burst from his mouth and his intestines were like, no, it's nothing like that. But it's like, you know, but in the morning, you know, the scarecrow was wearing the clothes of this guy, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but I like the way, like I said, they incorporated all the elements of these multiple stories and they were able to tie it together in the same spirit of in which these stories were written. You know, these were stories were written as short, little scary stories. And so the character of Sarah Bellos writing these stories was done the same way. You know, they were just like little stories she would tell to kids and stuff like that to scare them. And I liked how they 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 twisted that into this book or into the story of the overall movie, which I thought was the absolute best way to handle it. Um, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminded me of the first uh, just Goosebumps movie they did with Jack Black a few years ago. I never saw the second one, but the first one, you know, instead of just taking one of the Goosebumps stories and stretching it out over, you know, an hour and a half and just draining it of everything that makes it good, they took all the stories and just kind of blended them into the real world. Like R.L. Stein writes these books and but they're magic or whatever and so these kids accidentally release the monsters from the books into the real world so that you know you get elements all the different elements of goosebumps that you like just tied into this overarching narrative without focusing too much on one or the other and this movie like i said did the same thing just with way less stories instead of like you know dozens and dozens of character it, it took five or six stories and put them in uh i like the fact that it name dropped one of my favorite stories from those books, which is the Wendigo. Um, and they name dropped that as the one that Sarah used to kill her father, which that's kind of a brutal one to kill because if you go into the true lore of the Wendigo, she's saying that he either ate another human being and became cursed and became a Wendigo or somebody ate him and became cursed and became a Wendigo because that's the origin of the Wendigo is cannibalism. <laughs> that's kind of brutal, Sarah. I wanted that's to. That's kind of brutal. Dude, and uh, not to interrupt. Well, I guess I am interrupting, but I'll be quick. Dude, when I saw the Wendigo story, I wanted to see that so badly. Like, I was like, man, dude, please, I, I, I'm going to have to read that now. Like, that was one of the things I walked away saying is I'm going to have to read that Wendigo story to get more on that. Because um, that, that really excited me when I saw the Wendigo mention. Now, I'll say this, Justin, their version of the Wendigo is not quite the same, uh, but it's still a very interesting story. I won't ruin what it is, but it's still a very intriguing story that still ties into your traditional Wendigo lore. Uh, but it is, it's a very unique story, and I do think it's funny that they put that in and even said, oh, that's how she killed her father was with that story. That was very interesting. Um, I mean, but for the most part, like you guys said, uh, the, the, the kids were all pretty good. I didn't have any issues with any of them. Um, the one comic relief character, he didn't annoy me, but he just really reminded me of a more square-faced version of the guy that plays Moose in the Step It Up movies. Um, <laughs> yep. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just was kind of distracting that every time I saw him, all I thought was square-faced Moose. Um, which, like I said, isn't a bad thing, but at just some point I wanted him to dance. 
I wanted to see if Square right. Face Moose could do some dancing, like step it up, Moose. Uh, you know, that's that's just like I said, a little distracting. Um, but like I said, that's my own personal problem with it. Uh, I will say this: there was one reviewer. I read a review of this movie, and I don't remember who it was. I don't even feel like name dropping them at this point. But they they didn't like this movie, and they they commented on the fact that they were they were saying it was kind of watered. This is what happens when you take like a rated R movie and you water it down. And all I can think of is, well, no shit. This is based on kids' books. This is, by definition, a mild form of horror. It's campfire tales. I mean, there's a version of the, the, the hook story that everyone knows. You know, there's a version of that in one of these books. Um, so, yeah, just, well, no shit. Like, you can't sit there and essentially criticize this movie for essentially living 100% up to its source material in that way. This movie does have problems. Don't sit there and artificially make up one just because you don't understand what the fuck you're watching. Like, that just really bothered me. I don't know why. And like I said, and that's another reason why I'm putting it in the like section here, is because I do think that that's, like, in defense of this movie, them saying it's watered-down horror for kids is 100% accurate, because that is 100% what it's meant to be based on the <laughs> fucking fact that it's written about, it's written as a ch child's book. Like, come the fuck on. But do you guys have any, uh, I, uh, before I guess we, I move on, I, like, I do want to also reiterate, like, they were saying the visuals in this movie when it comes to, like, the monsters and stuff like that are just incredible. Because, um, like I said, I grew up reading these books and the illustrations and stuff like that in these books. And to see, especially the one from the, the, the Pale Lady, which is the story of the dream, that weird, blocky, stocky, square blob lady um seeing her come to life on screen was very much magical because they <laughs> built that fucker like that wasn't a cgi per, like manifestation on that screen that was that was a motherfucker in a costume really awesome i'm 90 percent sure that that's practical dude if it's not double kudos to them because that looked practical as fuck. Because the other monsters, when they were CGI, I, I could tell. Like the Mitai Doty Walker, which, yes, they did. That's a combination of practical and CGI. Um, there is actually somebody in a costume doing some of that stuff. Uh, same with Harold. Um, that was a combination of CGI and practical. But, like, when you see the go the, the corpse from, like, Big Toe, you know, that didn't look like a practical effect. That looked more along the lines of CGI. And it very much... I mean, and, and when I'm saying that this Pale Lady could have been... Well, it was practical, it could have been a mixture of both. You know, somebody's in a costume and they're texturing it with CGI and stuff like that. But... To me, the way they shot that, it looked like a motherfucker in a costume to me. I, like I said, I could be 100% wrong. When my eyeballs were watching it, that's what I thought. Um, but it looks 100% like somebody took that book, scanned it into a computer, and then that computer was like, what kind of life form do you want me to make? And they said, this right here. And this computer printed up a life form that was that fucking uh, dream creature thing. Because it 100% looked like a real life version of the charcoal sketchy drawing from the books. And that was amazing. Yeah, it did look great. Um, yeah, so I can't stress that enough. That that's, that attention to detail it is also not surprising because it's uh, Gamera del Toro. Uh, produced this movie. So, of course, it's going to have some amazing-looking monsters in it. That's just what this guy does. Like, this guy wakes up in the morning, eats some Wheaties, and then does some cool monster effects before lunch. That's just every day for him. Pretty much. And so I'm just 100% not surprised that, uh, yeah, the, the, these creatures looked amazing. Um, but is there any final thoughts before we move on to dislikes, guys? Dislikes, dislikes. 
Well, just to kind of comment on that, um, the the guy that said, "Oh, this is watered down horror or whatever." Yeah, I totally agree with you. When I when I found out that what the source material was about and who it was for, then it made sense for this to be a PG thirteen movie and not be about so much blood, guts, and gore and all that kind of stuff like that. I mean, if anything. I really see this as this was like a great to me gateway horror movie, kind of like this is one that uh, that teens can watch or somebody who just isn't about all that heavy stuff, but they kind of want to see something scary. This is like perfect for that. This is also something that I could see when um every halloween because it does it does take place at halloween so you could totally see this coming on a television channel you could see this playing on a cable network channel like oh scary stories from and i could see people watching this like on tv like oh yeah that that, i remember that movie that was pretty scary that was pretty cool let's watch it you know it's on tv let's watch it so I think that this is one of those kinds of movies that not only is it a good gateway film for your younger viewers, but it will have a shelf life, I feel like, well after the movie theater. Well, and to tie back into what Heather said, it really is like a long form version of Are You Afraid of the, Te- or Are you Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's campfire stories. It's long. But I think the thing I appreciate the most about this movie is it's a horror movie that does deal with some very dark and twisted and, uh, you know, ghoulish subject matter. And it achieves a good level of, of horror and scares without having to gr- go grotesquely violent. I mean, how many times in movies like this would you see, like, the scarecrow scene and he, when he gets harpooned with the, the pitchfork, he's going to be, like, pouring blood, and then, like, maggots are going to start falling out of him while he's, yeah. like, spewing blood and straw out of his mouth, yep. you know, as he transforms. And his bones are breaking, and he's, you know, getting mangled while he's transforming. Or, you know, like, the big toe one, where, like, it'd be, you know, the corpse would be just, like, ripping him apart to, like, reach into his stomach to rip out the toe that he ate, uh, you know. The, the the one with the dream, instead of like just absorbing him, she'd be like ripping him in half and drinking his blood to absorb his body and shit. Like it would one hundred percent hinge on the grotesque and the spectacle. Where this one just maintains a good solid level of horror just through the ideas that it presents. Like it doesn't have to go violent just to to like creep you out. And not even to creep you out, to to make you squirm, if you will. It's it it reaches a good level of squirminess without going that far. And I think that that's, that's great. Like you said, it adds like a timeless classic or a timelessness to it. They can, you know, they could show this on fucking cable TV and not really have to edit shit. Yep. Just throw in some commercial breaks, you know? And like you said, right. it's, it's like, it's a good gateway horror. Like they don't have, are you afraid of the dark now? They will. That's coming back. But they don't have that anymore. So, like, just something that you could show a 10-year-old that isn't just purely adult-level horror, but can you still get them excited about horror movies and stuff like that? Like, what's what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing at all, man. No, that's actually great. It's actually great, you know? I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, and like I said, it, it also shows how how good the filmmakers were with this with Guillermo del Toro and Alex, like, 
Asafiv or something like that. I don't know how to say his last name, but um, it really, like I said, it shows how good they were. They, they, how good they are as filmmakers. I mean, of course, Guillermo del Toro is, but he, I mean, he's the producer on this. Uh, he's not the director or anything. But it shows that he also cared enough about this movie, though, because, like I said, it showed that these are good filmmakers that know, like, like you said, Justin, like they know how to add tension. You know, these are people that know what they're doing, so they can do this. Like I said, without having to crutch on violence. Now, like some movies need violence. I get that. Some horror movies need violence. This, you know, but this movie isn't fucking Jason. It's not a slasher film. It's ghost stories. Right. Ghosts don't have to be violent. Yep. You know, like I said, if there was a guy with a machete chasing people around in this movie, sure. Maybe I understand getting mad that he's not cutting people's heads off. But, I mean, come on. Like, what the fuck do you want, dude? <laughs> That's just what I want to ask that guy. What the fuck do you want, bro? Do you want violent horror? You're going to get that. It Chapter 2 comes out next month. Come on. You'll get it. Like, don't take your frustrations out that you've had to wait this long for, you know, a violent horror movie since... I mean, which it's not like the world's short on those. I mean, Crawl kind of falls into that. And that was just a few weeks ago. It had plenty of blood and violence in it. I don't know. I'm just very perplexed. On the mentality that that man had reviewing this movie. And I felt I needed to defend it in that way. <laughs> but on to dislikes, guys. I'm going to throw this out there. For the love of God, can we stop having bullies in movies from the 1960s that are just always 100% homicidal fucking maniacs? <laughs> <laughs> quick Every quick bully... shout out, though, to what's his name? Austin Abrams. Um, Jason, maybe you remembered him from Euphoria. Um, but yeah, he's, he, I always feel like he plays a bad guy except for in Euphoria. But, um, yeah, I, he's, he's the quintessential, like, bully from back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, they had him there to chase people around with baseball bats. And you always have the impression of, you know, they don't always end up killing the people, but you always get the impression that they legitimately want to. That, like, it's not idle threats when they sit there and say, I'm going to murder you. Because this guy was 100% content with locking those children in the basement of an abandoned building. Right. With no food, no water, no way of communicating to the outside world until they died. <laughs> Yeah, he 100% extreme. wanted them all to die, you know, because he got dog shit thrown or no, not even dog shit, human shit thrown into his lap. Like he went straight homicidal with that. But like, and I get it, like for him doing that in this movie, whatever, that was fine, I guess. But that's just such a tired fucking trope. I mean, we, we, to bring it up again, in It Chapter 1, you had the homicidal bully that wanted to fucking stab people. I know it's not in the 1960s, but in the 1980s with Stranger Things, you know, the older brother, uh, what the fuck his name is, Mullet McGee. Um, <laughs> Billy. Bad, uh, yeah, Billy. Um, I was going to say Bad Red Power Ranger. Um, but I mean, he was the same way. And I, I understand that, yes, in this season he was possessed, but he was kind of that way at the, in, in season two, you know? Um, it's just like you go back through time and you watch all these things that anytime there's that bully character in the, you know, 1960s, they are just the most sadistic and vile motherfuckers ever. And then, like, people wonder why, like, bullying is a bad thing. And I'm like, because well, yeah, they're all homicidal maniacs, apparently. Like, holy fuck. We can tone it down a little bit, people. Like... <laughs> Instead of him just saying, I'm going to murder you, and 
legitimately 100% mean it. I never thought it was like a figure of speech from this character. I was like, oh no, he wants to murder people because he is a serial killer. Like, instead of that, it's like, why can't he just say, I'm going to beat your ass? Like, what's wrong with right, that? Like a normal kid. Why can't there just be? Why can't, why can't there just be a good old fashioned ass beating? Why does it have to be multiple homicides? <laughs> right. Like, why does it have to be a capital offense felony every time a bully from the 1960s is on the fucking screen? Like, jeez. Like, and with that, like, one thing I'm also tired of with movies like this is the fact that, like, all right, they undid everything. Well, they didn't undo everything. Whenever they 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 defeated or stopped the ghost at the end, they didn't undo anything. All they did was stop the ghost. Which kudos to them for doing that. That's a cool that they are still saying that these people that are disappeared are still disappeared, and they have to go find them or save them. Or there's still more work to do and all this other stuff. Kudos that they didn't just magically undo everything by being a ghost. Problem with that is, is into this movie. Uh, what's his name? Ramon and yeah. Stella. Uh, yeah, Ramon and Stella. Like. You know, Ramon, he got caught as a draft dodger, so he had to go fight in the war. And, like, Stella's like, I'm going to go across the country to find answers to a problem that has 100% only been isolated to my hometown. But somehow I think driving across the country will help me solve answers for it. Don't make any sense with that. But Ramon is like, all right, I've got to go fight in the Vietnam War now and all this other stuff, which is all fine and dandy. That, like, they're literally having to continue the story of what was happening essentially throughout the story. The problem is, is that one of the monsters straight up kills the chief of police or sheriff or whatever the fuck that guy was. And then Ramon's fingerprints are 100% all over his cop car that he, for all intents and purposes, it looks like he stole and wrecked after he murdered the sheriff. Now, we know that that's not how it happened. There was a monster, but... Anybody else that then would show up to that crime scene would go, man, there were two people in these jail cells. They are both gone. The chief is dead and his cop car is two miles away and crashed into this vehicle with this one kid's fingerprints all up in it. That kid murdered the chief. And yet somehow no one gives a fuck about that police investigation in this show. Like at the end of this movie, no one cares. They're just like, oh, I guess the chief, you know, the chief was eating a donut and tripped and fell and broke his neck. When he accidentally threw the kids, the keys to these kids who happened to accidentally drive his cop car away, that settles it. Like, why is why is there no ramifications for the police officer dying? I get it. They don't want there to be. So fine. Don't kill the police officer then in the middle of the movie and then have all this other stuff happen like this. Like, it just is a gigantic flaw in logic that these movies, movies like this are notorious for doing. And I guess at this point, I'm either so fed up with it, I can't, like, not let it bother me, or it really is that much extra ridiculous in this movie, and I can't not talk about it. It's one of the two. <laughs> but my other biggest complaint about this movie is also, like I said, narrative-wise, just like everything else so far, is, like I said, the fact that at the end of this movie, Stella, her dad, and Square, uh, Square Face Moose's sister, who was the, you know, the girl with the Ruth. spider faces... <laughs> Um, she doesn't really need a name. She's True. the girl with spiders in her face. They're all in a pickup truck, like driving through the fucking Rocky Mountains to find answers to where their friends are. But like I said earlier, this story is 100% isolated to this town because all of the supernatural elements happen because of one lady and her ghost. 
There's no outside influences. So where the fuck are they going to find answers? All of the answers are in that town. <laughs> like, where are they going? It makes no sense. I get it. It's a fun little setup for a sequel. But at the same time, why don't you try to talk to the ghost that you just made nice again? Like, try to talk to her and go, hey, hey, Sarah. <laughs> How do we fix Bro, it? where are our friends at? Like, it just, it makes no sense. Like, oh, we're going to, you know, go off to this other town where there's a, another ghost that can make scary stories in a book. Oh, okay. Let's hope that that, you know, that book can undo scary stories from, you know, bumfuck Pennsylvania or where the fuck they were at. I just do not understand what the fuck was going on with that. My final thing, and I'll kick it off to you guys, is what the fuck was all this shit with, the, the, with, with Stella's mom leaving the family? Like, God, that was so fucking dumb and forced and the, the way they used it within the narrative was stupid like you know when she's all sad and she's like you know everybody told me that my mom left because of me who who's telling you that because who the fuck would actually know that like come on use use some common sense here like what some other little stupid shitty kid like come on stella you're a smart girl you know that they would have no clue why your mom left but like this girl is seriously, just seriously, down on herself because random people in town see that she's the reason why her mom left. But then she doesn't even ever go into mentally what she could have done to make her mom leave either. You know, I understand that also when you're a kid and your parents are, you know, divorced or something like that, that there is, you know, that, you know, that mental weight you put on yourself with that situation. Don't get me wrong. That's not lost on me. But she is 100% not in that. She is 100% in the whole mode of somebody said it, therefore it must be true. Bonkersness. And then at one point when she's like calling her dad and she's like, don't worry, dad, I'm not leaving you. I just might be dead. And the dad's like, but wait, what's going on? Where are you at? And then she just hangs up the phone. And then the police guy goes, is your dad coming to get you? And she goes, no. And he's like, well, I guess you're going to jail then. Obviously, this cop knows who she is. Obviously, this cop knows who her father is. Why wouldn't the cop just call him up and go, yo, bro, come pick up your daughter? Or why wouldn't he just go, okay, and then take her home anyway? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Like, it made no sense. Like, he could just go, Henry, why are you coming to pick up your daughter? And he's like, I didn't know she was at jail. Of all the crazy shit she just said, she never once mentioned, oh, P.S. Dad. I'm in jail. Like, none of them acted like they really should have in that moment based on how they were actually acting in any other moment of that scene. You know, obviously that cop knows that girl on at least a semi-personal level. You know, he's at least familiar enough with her to know she writes stories and shit, which, I mean, is more than I knew any kid my age because I couldn't tell you any fucking kids I grew up with that wrote stories. So if you at least know that fact about her, you know at least something somewhat big about her life. You know, he knows enough to be like, hey, is your dad coming to get you? And when she's like, no, he's like, oh, that's, he's, he got, he's even got that look on his face of, oh, that's odd. Right. I really thought Henry would come and get you. Like, like it, he, he's very much, he's got the mentality of, this is a small town. I know where you live. Like, I know your dad. We play poker every Wednesday night type of mentality like that's how they were acting like why the fuck wouldn't he go but fuck that i'm taking you home right now <laughs> like it made no sense it just really felt like they had that scene so she could cry and tell her dad i might never see you again but it's not because i left you it's because i got murdered by a ghost book <laughs> and i just feel like there was better ways of doing that instead of that scene like 
they could have just had it, you know, some shit happened and him go, you know, Stella, I know you're, you're, you and your dad have had some tough times, but you know what? You and your friends are up to some crazy ass shit and this kid's doing some illegal shit. And for your own good, you're just staying the night in jail and I'll take you home in the morning. Bam. Problem solved. And you don't have all that other just pure insanity that this story tried to throw in that scene. But then you still get to have the scenes you want to have right after. And maybe there was a way to kind of take that whole everyone said that I was the reason why my mom left. Because, yeah, you're right. That just stuck out like a sore thumb because they never really addressed that. And uh, an easy way that you could have addressed it and still had to tie in into everything is what if that was kind of the story? Like that was a story that hurt her. You know what I mean? Like there, there was this rumor or there were these people that would say that or there was this you know, she was kind of known as this troublemaker or maybe she was when she was younger or something and then when her and her father got divorced that was kind of the rumor or that was kind of the story like there should have been a way that where they could have used some real world stuff and that could have been a way to show how that story hurt our main character or that kind of hurt the reputation of that character and then she could have even been even more relatable to sarah in that way once she figured out everything that was that went on with Sarah Bellows, because there is a story that actually hurt her. There is a story that was used to kind of where they didn't really know the situation about her mom. And it was used to kind of give this girl, Stella, this bad reputation. So I think there was a way to tie that all together. It was like they had the pieces, but they just didn't even really bother with that whole mother thing, like you said. I think if in that scene when she's saying that and if Ramon had or whoever she was talking to or whatever had said to her, why do you feel that way or something? And then she tells the story of when her mom left and why she blames it on herself because of other people saying that. That would have made it connect. Tell us the story of why you feel that way. Yeah. Don't just say it because it falls fucking flat when you do that. Like if, you know. Like, because it, it didn't even feel mysterious. It's not even like in a movie, like, say, like, the movie The Rundown. I know this sounds like I'm going way left field, but I promise it ties back. The movie The Rundown with Sean William Scott and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. For most of the movie, Dwayne The Rock Johnson hints that he doesn't use guns anymore. And he's like, well, why don't you use a gun? Use a gun. He's like, I don't use guns anymore. And then at the very end of the movie, he has to pick up a gun and then he's just like an utter badass with a gun. The way they do it in that movie makes it feel mysterious because you see him with a gun and you're like, oh, this is a one-man wrecking crew. He's unbeatable with a gun. Why wouldn't he want to pick up a gun? What happened? Mysterious. In this, When they do it in this, it's kind of mysterious, kind of mysterious, kind of mysterious. They kind of half reveal something and it completely falls flat and then they never try to do anything with it afterwards. Like, they either needed... To just not have her say the whole, I feel that way because, you know, people say it. Because I think that's what makes it fall flat. If she says that line, but then never says why, that's what makes it fall flat. If, you know, somebody says, well, why do you feel that way? And, you know, she just says, uh, you know, something along the lines of, I just know it. You know, something like that. To where you could tell it's just a very internalized pain, which would then, like I said, make it mysterious. Or actually tell the story and show why she feels that way. Don't kind of do half and half of both and just be, you know, f essentially flatter than the entire movie of Midsummer. 
Whose turn is it now? Justin. Justin, it's your turn. What did you not like about this movie? No, you definitely made some really good points. And I think that just when you look at it, uh, everything is just really about the narrative. Just some of the narrative choices were either inconsistent or just didn't make a lot of sense. And definitely the thing you mentioned about the end of the movie, oh, we're going to solve. I was totally in the same boat as you. Like, what were they going to solve? So that was definitely a good point there. But the, the, the word or words that keeps coming to mind when I think about the problems with this film are just some or is plot convenience. Like, I feel like there were just a lot of things that happened or a lot of things that wrapped up quickly just because we needed the plot convenience so that we could get to the next scene or get to the next um, important part of the movie. One part that really just sticks out to mind was the whole recording of Cerebellos and everything like that. Like, OK, so they go to this hospital and they're like, um, are there any archives of cerebellos? And then they go, well, uh, we, we're not sure, but if there are some archives, it would be down in the red room or whatever. So eventually they go to this red room and stuff happens and that's cool and everything. But they get to this red room and there's this recording and it's just there like it didn't feel like it took really any effort to find it then the guy's like oh and the machine to play it is right over here and i happen <laughs> to know how to use that and ramon is like i happen to know how to use that and that just felt like to me like you that happens all the time like in I remember that happening like in Bugs Bunny cartoons and like Tiny Toons where like they'll be somewhere and they'll go, oh, man, if only we had somebody that knew how to operate this machine. And then they look and then somebody goes and then there's a guy there with a certified, you know, whatever certificate. And he knows how to operate the machine and he just happened to be there so we can get this machine going and get on to the next part. That's what that felt like. It was totally like that, like, oh, here's the recording. Oh, and there's the machine to play it. And guess what? I'm Ramon and I just happen to know <laughs> what this is and how to use it. So they so they put that together. And then it pretty much is just this incriminating evidence of these family members torturing Sarah and her just basically saying it was mercury poisoning that was in the water that killed all those kids and everything like that. Like pretty much all of the answers are in this recording. And I guess this is just the cinema slayer in me, but I couldn't help but sit there and go, okay, you mean to tell me that someone found this? <laughs> archived it down here in this hospital and just left it there L like i'm trying to think of all the things that possibly could have had to have happened in order for this to have been left there so conveniently like that like either the doctor the family member that was uh that made sarah the scapegoat the brother either the the or, or maybe it was the father i can't remember who was on the other side of that recording that was torturing her. That was her brother. Okay. Her brother was on the other side of the recorder, who was a who was a doctor at that clinic. Okay, that's right. So this guy went and taped a confession <laughs> that opened his cover that blew open his cover up at his place of work and then went, let's make sure to keep that evidence. Yes. <laughs> right. 
exactly. Like let's 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 keep that evidence in here and let it just sit in here. And for anybody at any given point, any doctor, any um worker could have picked that up, used it. I mean, that is that just sounds like the kind of incriminating evidence that you destroy. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But it just sounds like something that you probably want to destroy and not leave at your place of work. So that was just kind of one of those things, man. I could not look past that. I understood that they needed to figure this out quickly. And I understood that that's not really what the movie is about. And I understand that that just needed to be in there so that they could move along to the next part but man but bro was that some plot convenience up the ass i mean that was hella convenient um another thing is just like uh what you guys pointed out a little bit just some of the cliches man like them going to visit the oh there's always this old woman or this old person who can kind of give you the history of what happened to the characters or something like that. So of course we got to visit this old woman who used to be there, used to be a servant there. And she's got like the history and understands certain things about Sarah and the family and things like that. So again, just, you know, you just kind of have those cliche characters. And of course, before they can give you all of the relevant answers they can't or they get killed or something happens to them or they go crazy so you know that's not anything that we haven't seen before with that character that they visited to get uh more of the history of uh cerebellos and things like that we've seen that character before a hundred times um so, so that just was just another thing that stood out to me were just those things like just those little plot conveniences and things that happen that really just uh didn't make a lot of sense and like sterling said like the last thing i'll say is just that yeah um, I mean, the way it all played out, it seemed like Sarah Bellos is now a good guy. You know, now she's kind of turned a new leaf and she gave uh, Stella the blood pen um, so that she could write and everything with her blood and make things happen and stuff like that. And so it just felt like if you wanted to get everybody back, you could just write them back or you could ask Sarah, well, how can I write them back? Or you could just, you know what I mean? Like, it just felt like we had everything to get the solution. You know, your main character has blood writing abilities now and you're, you're the ghost is kind of on your side. She's, Sarah's turned over a new leaf. So it did feel like you have the tools necessary to kind of solve the situation. So yeah, I just, you know, at the end, it was a bit of a head scratcher to why we needed to move. And, and maybe that was something that they could have used that, 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 that black lady. Maybe that's where she could have came into play. Maybe there was some other thing that she knew or something like that. Some of the answer they needed to get from her, but she was gone or there was somebody else involved or there was something unfinished. And they needed to track her down. They needed to go find that lady. Maybe she was gone or moved out of the town once she went delirious or whatever. And her daughter moved them out of town and maybe they had to go find them. But I don't know. I just felt like there was a way to, they had some things and it just didn't quite tie together as smoothly as you would have hoped. But it definitely felt like some ingredients were there and just some opportunities were missed when it came to the final resolution of the film yeah no i 
I'm right there with you because I think like I think like a lot of my issues were kind of the same way. Oh, just with plot convenience, like like you said, just oh this you know the wax cylinder and all this other stuff. Which also, guys, a wax cylinder would have been th- those things weren't hard. Like that shit would have been melted and degraded, and they had crystal clear Dolby digital audio out of that fucking thing. Like. I was just astonished with the audio quality they were able to get off that fucking wax cylinder. But it's like you said, it was just so wildly convenient. Just like, you know, like at the end, whatever, you know, it's just really insanely convenient that nobody is even bothered that the police chief is dead. Yeah. Like, it's insanely convenient that... You know, this cop is just like, well, I guess you're sitting in jail because, you know, your father, my best friend, didn't want to come get you. No biggie. Like, oh, it's wildly convenient that this guy's a homicidal maniac and a ghost would set you free just to kill you outside the house, which was, I guess, another thing that was weird. The ghost is the one that set them free, but then the ghost is the one that's trying to kill them once they got free. It it really is just bonkers sometimes with that. Like whenever they were packaging things so well that when I think and that's what makes these moments stand out is for the most part it's a very well made film. It's just there are these sore spots yeah. that you're just like, wait, why? And it leaves you perplexed. Heather, what did I mean, you not like? It's about really this hard movie? to come up with something other than what you guys have said because literally so much of, of what you guys touched on is what I was going to talk about. Um Namely, the the situation with Stella and her mom and why that played out the way that it did. And honestly, I really think that it was a missed opportunity for them to not use her, um, you know, her fear of being the reason her mom left and just her sadness over that. And that be part of what her story was written about or part of what, you know, what went down with her character at the end there. Um, I just thought that they probably, I I expected, I guess, that they were going to use that as part of her story and her, her nightmare basically come to life in a sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, and that, that was my big one was that. And then, um, now that you're talking about the whole convenience factor thing, you're right. It is, you know, (laughs) and it's like, not that we had not seen that in a lot of other films, you know? Um, so it's not like the first time they've done that, but, um, and it's definitely very obvious that they're doing it, but at the same time, they are also, I mean, it just, the way that they did this movie in general, I feel like it it didn't distract too much from enjoying the whole story, even though that that definitely was something, um, something they did do in it. Um, I will say one, one thing I do have a slight issue with, with the performances um sterling your homeboy you know square face moose <laughs> in this film he had some moments that were funny but i do feel like his character was trying too hard sometimes or you, you felt like he was trying too hard as the character sometimes to be funny or to be that relief and i just felt like his emotions didn't really line up with what they should in some areas like he he had a he had a great moment when he was saving his sister who had the spiders coming out of her face like that was a good moment there with them you know rescuing her and you could see like that sibling love that they have and all that and then immediately after that it just seems like it was a non-factor like it didn't seem like he even really talked about it or touched on it anymore and there was a scene too like right after it was just going off into the ambulance where um he says like she's gone now too or he says something like that where i'm like did she die 
like it just confused me that he said that and i don't know if that just meant like she's gone in her mind or i don't know what it meant but it was just kind of weird for him to say it in that moment and then to not really feel like he had the emotion behind what he said so it just kind of threw me off a little bit and then there are moments where he is trying a little bit too hard to be that funny comic relief in situations or scenes where it wasn't necessary at the time, or it didn't really play as well as it could have in that particular scene. Um, but I mean, I do like his character. I think his character was, he was a good comic relief and he he did a good job for the most part. There were just a couple of off-putting scenes where he just kind of was not matching up with uh, with the rest of his performance in the film. Um, I do think that, yeah, I mean, honestly, the... Um, the the only thing is like uh, correct me if I'm wrong though like a lot of these stories are supposed to be things that they've heard or things that they've dreamed of that scared them is that right or is it just because I feel like all of the other ones related to them based on like oh this is a creepy dream I keep having or this is a camp story I keep hearing and I feel like the only one that didn't relate was the big toe thing you know what I mean like it didn't specifically relate to him in a way you know um. I mean, yeah, th- but that's the thing is like, yeah, that was also really kind of hit or miss whether or not they wanted that to happen. Because even with Squareface Moose, yeah, he was like, oh, this is a creepy dream I keep having. Yet he only kept having that creepy yeah. dream yeah. after being in the haunted house. So it wasn't something like that. That was a lifelong fear of his, you know, it yeah. just happened to be a and dream he had had for two nights. It could have been maybe a little bit less hit or miss. Like, I don't know. I mean, and maybe that's part of the stories, uh, the books and everything is like, it's not particular to, oh, it relates to the specific people as opposed to just, oh, they're reading a story and it really got them. But I just feel like the way that they did it. Go ahead. Well, well I was just going to say that has no, like that part of it has really has nothing to do with the books. Because the books really are just a collection of individual stories. So there's nothing that interconnects them. Um, so yeah, that aspect of it within itself has nothing to do with the books because they really okay. are just a yeah, bunch well, of I random guess, stories that are collected like, together. It felt like the other ones in some sort of way related to how they felt more so than the one with the big toe and Augie. Because, um, you know, Stella's was her kind of becoming Cerebello's and like that, the fear that came with that. And then uh, Ramon's was the camp story that freaked him out. And then the dream. And then even Ruth, you know, I, I feel like it related to her, her vanity of like, I have to be perfect and I have this performance and I have to be on. And what's the worst thing that can happen to her at that moment? So I just feel like the other ones kind of tied in a little bit more to specific fears or things that they were worried about than the big toe one did. So that was just a little bit of a, and that's just a personal thing. And again, it's also coming from someone who, you know, I didn't read any of the stories or know any of them beforehand, but just kind of how they did it in the movie. I feel like that was just the one that didn't really necessarily relate specifically to a, particular emotion that that kid had in the film as opposed to the other ones um if that makes sense but yeah so that is i mean other than what you guys have already touched on a lot those are the things i would say were my dislikes i want to add something go figure right why did this ghost have the ability to literally transverse space and time because at the end of the movie when she pulls little stella back in time to be her you know 
surrogate, if you will, for that scene. And her glasses fall off. And then homeboy Ramon finds them in the quote-unquote present day of that scene. All of a sudden, her glasses are there. Like, they legitimately fell off, you know, 20 or whatever years before that. Like, they are legitimately saying that she went back in time. It was not just mentally living by proxy. No, she was physically sent back in time and then, I don't know, magically induced to look like Sarah Bellows instead of herself. And I'm just like, but then how did her glasses fall off? Because her glasses fell off and nobody reacted to that. So then, like, how did that happen? But like I said, on top of that, that means that ghost has the ability to bend space-time. And while I get it, that's more or less an unintended consequence of them just wanting to have that scene. But, like, that is a crazy thing that they more or less posit in this movie. That this, like, that this girl would have unlimited power then. Why can't this ghost just write a story where she goes back in time and kills her parents and brother before mm. she got killed and framed? Damn. That would be 100% within the power set that this ghost has because they displayed that in this movie. <laughs> like, that would not be in the realm of impossible. Yeah, and they really... And they really should have made it to where the, Food you know, her thought. mom leaving or whatever it was, that disappearance. It really would have been cool to relate that to um, maybe she was in the book. That would have been cool. But yeah. Or or even outside of that, why couldn't Stella's biggest fear and being people? turning into her mom? Like, or something like that. Like, why wouldn't her biggest fear or, or like, why wouldn't her biggest fear be like her mom shows back up as a ghost and she's like, I'm dead, Stella. I'm yeah. dead. Because I had to get away from you, Stella. Oh, that would have been Bam. cool. That would have been really cool, actually. Then, then you get full circle. And yeah, that would make more sense to what she was doing. It just... And then on top of that, they give her the blood pen. And she kind of starts writing and some shit like that. But like, why did she just write like, Sarah, I know the real story. And then everything kind of just ended. Why didn't she write, hey, all this never happened. Yeah. Done. Like... She literally, it goes back to what you were saying, Justin, with convenience. She had the power to undo everything, yet conveniently just undid five minutes. <laughs> because that yeah. would kill the momentum for a sequel. because yep, it would kill it. It just conveniently didn't kill the sequel. But, you know, but like, like you said, it's just all about convenience. And that's, that's one thing I'll say about this movie. It's not a bad movie in the slightest. But man, if they ever have the choice of doing the, the unique thing or doing the convenient thing, man, these fuckers choose convenient more often than not. And sometimes that is to the detriment of the film itself. Well put. Nothing to add to that. <laughs> I want to make a shirt of that. And the choice of interesting and convenient, they chose yes. convenience. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then, yeah, because it does sound like a deep inspirational quote. And when it boils down to it, <laughs> It was me just talking about a random horror movie that came out in August. <laughs> Convenient nice. stories to tell in the dark. <laughs> right? Convenient stories to tell in the dark of a movie that was oddly placed in August. Did they really have that little faith in this movie that they took a horror movie and went, there's just no way in hell we could put this out anywhere <laughs> right. near Halloween. And I do, I do wonder about Let's that too because August. I thought like maybe they did it because this way kids or teenagers who are out of school for the summer would go watch it. But I mean, they're going to watch it if they want to watch it, especially, you know, scary movies. So it, it probably has nothing to do with that. But yeah, I did wonder about the timing of it and why they decided to do it now. 
and it did fairly well for that domestic box office. I mean, it was second yeah. this last the, 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 its opening weekend to only Hobbs and Shaw it beat out everything else, which that was kind of surprising. I'm not gonna lie, I did not think that this movie was gonna you know yeah. do that well, but that's respectable. I mean, you went second place to a big time Hollywood franchise. I'd take that, but I mean. Maybe it was just more convenient to release it in August. Once again. <laughs> Scary stories to tell in the nice. dark. A very convenient truth. Now, that'd work better, I guess, if it was an environmental documentary. And just be the opposite Al Gore. A very convenient truth. I just feel like there's something there. I just can't quite get to it yet. I'll probably figure it out later when we're not recording. I'm like, damn it, that was the line I should have said. But let's move on. Recommendation, score, um, Heather, yeah, I mean, it's go. It's interesting because I didn't not like this movie. I did enjoy it for what it was. My fear in the whole thing is that, you know, by the time fall rolls around and other scary movies are coming out, it's going to be probably pretty forgotten um, when it comes to scary movies. Uh, but it was good for what it was, honestly, and just how they turned this collection of short stories into a movie like it's very well done it's very creative in how they do it and i do appreciate how how they told the story um yeah why not i mean i enjoyed it for the most part it i'm just kind of i wouldn't say indifferent towards it i'm just more like um I, I guess I feel like there's nothing that specifically stands out as like they did this more amazingly than any other scary movie or they did this more poorly than any other scary movie. So I'm kind of like a little bit on the fence with my score, but I do recommend it just because it's it's creative and it's very visually beautiful. I will say that much. Um, I think my score for it, you know, I'll give it like a uh, I'll give it like a 70 creepy cornfields with scary scarecrows killing people out of 100. <laughs> I almost thought you were doing like a nursery rhyme. Scary scarecrows in a sepia-toned squash field. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I agree with a lot of that. Justin, go. All right. Well, yes, I'm going to recommend this. And like we kind of already talked about, I do think that this is a good gateway horror film. So if you've got some younger children or younger teens and they're, and, and you know, and you need to play something scary or they're looking for the scary fix, but you don't want them seeing anything too violent or they're not ready for all of that it type of stuff, then this fits the bill. It, it's It's just enough and it does enough with tension and builds it well enough and is a good enough story, a good enough story to where you can, this is something you can enjoy. This is something you can enjoy. This is something you can be spooked by. And it's got the pedigree of having those books. So people who enjoyed those books can kind of see, like Sterling said, some of these ghouls and these characters come to life. So for all those reasons, I do recommend it. It was fun. It was spooky. It was creepy. It built some tension. There were some moments where I was like, man, that was kind of messed up. Or, you know, uh, there were cr some kind of moments that made you kind of go, man, dude, that would be man, that would be crazy to be in that situation. So overall, I did enjoy this film. So for that, I can recommend it. Um, I, although I do think that Heather does make a good point when you've got things like it coming out later on and stuff like that. I do wonder how remembered 
this film will be as far as its theater run. But like I said, I do see this being something fun for TV. I do see this having um, a little bit of life after the movie theater. And with it being set in Halloween, yeah, you're right. It would have been very nice if it did come out in Halloween. But overall, uh, th this was fine. Uh, if anything, it was very, uh, it was, it came out and it was very convenient. You know, it was a convenient horror movie to get us to uh, Stevie King's It coming up later on. So with that in mind, um, I will give it a, we'll go with 75 <laughs> convenient moments <laughs> that tie everything together um, without having to do a criminal investigation <laughs> because the cops are already dead. Uh, out of a hundred, uh, like I said, this is uh, this is pretty good. Uh, but yeah, definitely some minus points just for narrative issues like that and plot convenience. But overall, I enjoyed this film. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with you guys on a lot of that. This movie, while I mean good, um, is gonna get lost in the shuffle, <laughs> unfairly so. Um, because I'm not gonna lie, I'd rather see a franchise franchise based on these. Uh, especially done like this, then I would like anything from the Conjuring universe. I fucking hate the Conjuring universe. They're all so boring and stupid. I fucking hate those. And I'm like, oh, this one's good. And this will be nowhere near Conjuring verse, though. This will n not do Conjuring numbers at all. I won't be surprised if this doesn't get a sequel. And that kind of just makes me sad. Because like you said, like it, I feel like this has a place. I just don't know if it it was put in that place. Maybe Amazon or Netflix or something will make a sequel for it. I feel like that might work a little better. That any time of year you can just stream it type of thing. I feel like that's a better place for this movie. Because I do recommend it, especially if you did grow up on the books. Um, seeing those illustrations brought to life is, uh, I, I think, a very awesome and, and unique thing. And and for as convenient as it is, it's not necessarily any more convenient than other horror movies are with their convenience. I mean, Jason's a fucking teleporter right. when he needs to be. You know, Mike Myers can withstand gunshots when he needs to. It's not any more convenient than those. I just think with the way they told the story, the conveniences really just pop out of the screen. It's almost like this movie is shot in convenience vision where it's a regular movie but when conveniences happen they pop out like 3d and it is slightly distracting and it is slightly detracting from the flow of this movie that i do feel for for most of the movie works it's just there are these little jarring bits that just remind you that it's not quite there yet and it's kind of like when you're driving down the highway and you go off into the shoulder a little bit and you hit the little ribby thingies and it makes your car like a brrrr for a little bit. It's kind of like that. Like you're still taking the road trip. You're still going. Like when you do that, your car doesn't instantly stop and you have to restart your car to continue your journey. No, it just distracts you for a little bit. And I feel like that's what the inconveniences do on this. It just reminds you that it's not quite there yet. And it reminds you that this is kind of just a cliche-ish horror film that doesn't quite bring anything new. It doesn't bring anything new. But what it does do is it does... Most of these cliches are at least done well. I think that's one of the strongest things that this movie does outside of visually, but narratively speaking, it does cliches yeah, better than that. most other movies that are cliched. It at least gives you good versions of these cliches. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and sometimes that's fine. 
just doing good cliches and doing them well is typically what makes people like cliches. I mean, this movie is, to me, a watered-down, kiddish version of a horror film. Um, Kind of a version of that of definitely, maybe, the romantic comedy. I mean, movie's full of cliches. Full of cliches. But it's the right type of cliches, and they do them well. And ultimately, definitely, maybe, is good. Now, I will say this. Definitely, maybe, is way better than this movie. But I'm just saying, that type of thing, where it's just full of cliches. If you do the cliches well, though, they're not bad. If you do good cliches and you do them well, it's not a deterrent. It's not a bad thing for your film. And I think in that way, the same as definitely maybe handles romantic comedy cliches, I feel like this does handle a lot of horror movie cliches and 1960s cliches kind of in the same in the same fashion. It handles them well, and it picks the right ones to do. So I will give this movie, I'll give this 70... <laughs> big toes in my soup and wishing I could hear the Wendigo story that's my score both of those 70 big toes in my soup while I'm wishing we could have seen the Wendigo story cool. nope anything else guys no I am good on that note guys thank you guys for listening to the Cinema Slayers podcast check us out on the interwebs www.cinemaslayers.com check us out on Facebook which is Cinema Slayers podcast check us out on Twitter and Instagram at cinema underscore slayers. Check us out anywhere. Um, send us messages if you think you want us to review a, a, a movie. We might not have done. It doesn't have to be a new release. We're going to try to do something a little new for you guys and stuff like that. So if you guys have an idea for a movie that has been released or, you know, or it might be straight to video, might just be on Netflix or something like that, that you guys think it'd be fun if you heard our opinions on it, give us a message. We might do that on a type of episode that we want to start incorporating every once in a while into these things of doing a version of what we used to do when we did more written reviews of just kind of a um, a catch-up type of thing. So um, check, uh, hit us up with that. Suggest some things. If you want to message it, put it on Facebook, anything like that. Let us know what you thought about this movie. Were you scared of these scary stories to tell in the dark? Or were you just a little bit too convenienced and didn't like it? Let us know what you thought. Let us know what you think about any of these things. Um, once again, I just have to say that since I pretty much mostly like this movie, you can suck it, Zach. And according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. That was Justin's way of saying, suck it, Zach. Mm-hmm.